Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f*** we want. Welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably no stranger to putting in work for some level of self-improvement. Whether you're pursuing a career in dance or just trying to find some level of inspiration to reach some level of breakthrough, you're probably listening because you're ready to put in work. But what if I told you that the work you have to put in is to wait and to be patient? When we think of chasing a dream, it's easy to stay focused on constant training and relentless pursuit. But one can only train so much and won't actually get anywhere until the right opportunity presents itself where all that preparation meets the right timing to flourish. My guest today is Ronnie Abaldonado, a.k.a. B-Boy Ronnie. Ronnie is a world-renowned B-Boy representing Full Force Crew, Super Crew, Seven Commandos, Super Walkies, and District Arts. And Ronnie is a Red Bull BC1 All-Star. Ronnie's breaking journey began in 1993, growing up in Las Vegas. And like most of us who found dance, it was something that was fun. The culture, the music, uh, the environment, people around him. um, It was simply something that he was doing because he enjoyed it. And it wasn't until about a decade or so later where he thought that maybe this could be something more. And Ronnie talks about being in the right place at the right times. And at that time where dance in Vegas wasn't uh, very easy to find in terms of work. And it wasn't like L.A. where the audition scene was very big at the time, especially for uh, non-choreography based uh, dance and uh, especially for the breaking scene. And without there being a clear blueprint or anyone to necessarily follow for advice, Ronnie kind of had to figure out his own path. And I think the way that he talks about training to putting in the hours behind closed doors and, and doing the work that is necessary so that he is ready, his skills are ready to go, and then finding the right opportunities. And as he talks about finding his first tour when he toured with Maxim, Uh, which ultimately led to his opportunity to be exposed to Red Bull and when Red Bull BC1 happened and his whole journey climbing through the the ranks within Red Bull BC1 to ultimately winning his championship in 2007 to a year later becoming uh, America's Best Dance Crew Season 2 champions. He keeps talking about the concept of timing, how everything happened at the right time that it was supposed to happen. And the interesting thing that I find in Ronnie's mentality towards all of it, I mean, don't get it twisted. He puts in the work. He talks a lot about how he's trained himself, how uh, being a a B-boy is is synonymous to being an athlete in terms of the level of training that goes into it. And knowing that you can only train so much, um, but without the right opportunity, that training doesn't really have any place to be showcased. And so he talks about right place right time um and that on the other side of that coin there's such a thing as right place and wrong time and essentially if that the timing isn't right the the opportunity is not going to work out for you so i think tapping into ronnie's mentality of being patient balancing out 
patience with work and and never stopping that grind but knowing that you can't force anything to happen the things have to happen in the organic way um, in the ways that things will unfold and as Ronnie goes into where he's at now uh, being in in this game in this industry for over 25 years talks about uh, full force crew and their them coming up on their 25th anniversary to what life is like now in 2020 um, surviving through the pandemic and how things are shifting for him um, as his uh, in his own career and as his focus is also changing um, now being a family man with a daughter and another baby on the way and yeah he's definitely been in this industry for so long even his own vision and his own dreams and aspirations are evolving and maturing and and are developing and uh, I think it's really cool to see where he's at as um, still as a dancer and as a creative, as an athlete, but also as a businessman and um, the things that he wants to create, um, not only for himself, but for uh, the community in Las Vegas, uh, wanting to bring the breaking scene um, on a large scale to the entertainment capital of the world in Las Vegas. And his, his dreams for that, I think, is uh, really inspiring. For anyone out there that is trying to make it, trying to figure out how to find their their path down a sector in an industry, whether it's dance or anything else that may not have such a clear blueprint. I think Ronnie's approach and his mentality in how he's figured it out um, is applicable to any industry. And I think he has um, a lot of wisdom in terms of how he approaches and by staying grounded to his foundations and, and his why, the thing that drives him family, friends, his home, his community, as to uh, being the thing that is pushing him to keep going and obviously putting in the work, but balancing that out with uh, being patient and waiting for those opportunities to come. Uh, Fun lightning round at the end, as always. Again, I think this episode has a lot to offer. Fun conversation. I think that's about it. Let's hop into it. Folks, yep. welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben, and we got the homie. We have Ronnie Abaldonado, a.k.a. B-Boy. Ronnie is in the pod. What's up, Ronnie? Yeah. It's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. Uh, for those of you who may not know Ronnie, Ronnie represents Full Force Crew, Super Crew, Seven Commandos, Super Walkies, District Arts, he is the winner of Red Bull BC1 in 2007, and he is a Red Bull athlete. Ronnie's in the house. What's up, dude? Good. Thank you. Thank you for hopping in, man. Uh, it's been a while. You were on the podcast sometime last year. Was it last year? You, you were on with the, the BC1 All-Stars. And, um, yeah, that was the first time we had you on, so it's been a minute since we caught up. But um, – yeah, we were out there last spring while we were doing uh, our West Coast tour. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I definitely want to get into all um, things that Red Bull is doing. Red Bull is definitely doing a lot. And, um, you know, I see a lot of shifting. Uh, everybody's shifting right now. Everyone's trying to figure out how to um, do the normal things that they would do in a live event space and then trying to figure out how to, like, you know, take it digitally and stuff. So before we get into that stuff, um, I know we, we spoke to you last time, but it, we didn't really get into like in depth for your personal story. Um, so for the listener who, who may not know, can you give us a brief 
walk through from where you grew up, where you're from, and um, how dance entered your life and all that, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, so I was born 1982, millennial. Uh, born Again, in you're 82? 82. 82. Hey, I'm, I thought you were a lot younger than I was, but okay, tight. <laughs> What are you, 81? I'm not I'm trying 81. to... I'm 81. I don't care. I'll date myself all day. <laughs> not my age, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I was born in Guam, which is a U.S. territory. Uh, ended up moving to the mainland uh, when I was like nine in, in 92, around that time. Wait, 92? I'm getting all the years mixed up. But I, I, I first lived in Southern California. So I had family that lived in Fontana, went from Fontana to um, Walnut to uh, West Covina, and then ended up moving to Vegas around 94. Uh, started breaking in 93. So I actually started breaking in California around some of my cousins uh, that lived out there in Southern California. So they got me into breaking along with my older brother. Uh, moved to Vegas, started full force in 95 in Las Vegas and haven't stopped since. Yeah, so pretty much started breaking uh, in 93, started crew 95, which we still represent. This year is our quarter of a century anniversary dang congrats man that's amazing <laughs> and what's cool is you know full force full force is an extension of, of all the crews you know we have members in full force that got down with full force before super crew before jabberwockies mm-hmm. and still here representing i still dance with some of the same um you know b-boys and b-girls from like 25 years ago we still rep you know from from kid Rainin to to uh, chris styles uh, to all the other full force, uh, full force members, Dunak, who's a part of Super Crew and Full Force, Rockadal, uh, Vex, they're all part of Full Force. So it's kind of cool knowing that we have this lineage from 25 years ago and we're all still together, pretty much repping in different crews, but we also kind of come together at least once a year. We always do our, you know, our annual reunion. Uh, so that's pretty much my history of dance in a nutshell. Yeah. Where, at what point as, uh, so, you know, I, I think a lot of it, everyone's dance story is pretty much the same in terms of how it starts. You, you get into it because you saw it somewhere, you tried it out, it was fun, you kept doing it. And then for those who stick with it, that kind of um, make that shift to do it professionally or whatever that means, you know, to, to make a career out of it. What was that turning point for you where you knew that uh, that breaking and dancing was more than just a hobby for you? Uh yeah, for a while, it was all, you know, just for fun, but it was something that I just loved so much more. And I realized that I was doing it more than everyone else because when everyone would stop, I was still doing it. So, you know, throughout high school, I was always performing at all the assemblies. Uh, when, when college hit, I think what the turning point that I realized that I wanted to pursue this as a career was I would never do good at a real job. Like I always realized I, I would be in La La Land, you know, like yeah. I used to for Sprint. I used to work at a Midway arcade at Treasure Island Hotel. And I just realized that I was always getting in trouble for ever, you know, coming to work late. Uh, I used to bag groceries and push carts at a Smith's grocery store. So all these things I was doing, obviously, like they were just uh, side jobs while I was going to college, but I was just never, you know, happy working a regular nine to five. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 2002 that I entered Star Search with knucklehead zoo which is one third of super crew mm-hmm. uh, we, were already, we were already representing super crew in 2000 but all all the other guys from full force were busy they were you know a, a little bit older than i was and knucklehead zoo they were trying to pursue dance full time so they asked me to do um they asked me to do star search with them we did it 
we killed it. We got a perfect score. Uh, at that time, Do Not already won Star Search, so he was endorsing us. Uh, kind of the same way Jabberwockies was endorsing Super Crew on ABDC. But yeah. that's a- so I think that was a turning point when I saw that we could do something this big and have an impact, you know, um, in the mainstream commercial world as B-Boys. We were representing B-Boys on Star Search. We ended up losing to these uh, cloggers, river dancers from Oklahoma. Uh, but back then it was, it was different because it was uh, live voting. So literally by the time our show got posted on uh, CBS on the West Coast, voting's already happened. So uh, we voted for them. They ended up beating us by like one point. But I, I thought that that was a turning point. I was like, man, this could be a career. So, um, you know, went back home, still did like a, a year of college at UNLV at the university and then ended up uh, quitting school and uh, just put all my eggs in one basket and, and try to pursue dance full time. And everything just kind of started happening naturally. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was definitely blessed with a lot of opportunities that kind of fell in my lap. Did you finish college? No, I didn't. I went okay. uh, two, two years, two years and... Uh, I started getting opportunities. Uh, I, I toured with Max Magazine for four years because that ended up happening shortly after I, I quit college. And it was one of those things where I was just kind of putting it out in the universe. Like, hopefully. And, you know, I was training every day. I had a lot of time on my hands. We were doing, I, I live in Vegas right now. Uh, we had a lot of local gigs. We were performing at Body English, which is a club at the Hard Rock uh, Casino, which is where Magic Mike is right now. It's the same venue. But... Uh, yeah, we had gigs there, Beecher's Madhouse, before I ended up going to Southern California, L.A. They actually had a big show out here. I was performing at that. So I was doing little gigs here and there in the early 2000s, but it wasn't until 2004 where I actually started touring and traveling the world and pursuing dance full-time as as my career. Yeah. So I think the, the breaking scene is probably a little bit different from, um, like, the way that uh, maybe, like, in LA, the commercial dance industry out here is kind of mainly through, you know, auditions. You go to an audition and then you book a job and things like that. Um, and you were living in Vegas. So was, was there a similar type of scene in Vegas where you had to like get an agent, go to the auditions? Like, how did you book like a, a Maxim tour and like things like that? How were you getting your exposure? Um, no, there wasn't actually it wasn't as big as LA. There wasn't agents. And, you know, if there were any kind of gigs, it was corporate gigs. And that was actually one of the first gigs I got was a small corporate gig at the MGM, just performing at the opening of a restaurant, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until 2004 where one of my uh, good friends, uh, she goes by B-Girl, Abby Girl. She's from the East Coast. She hit me up and she's like, I'm going to be there for a Maxim party because she was on tour with Maxim and they ended up doing their party uh, at a venue and she was there with another dancer who was supposed to be b-boy but he wasn't really you know he he looked more like a model like they just hired him based on his looks <laughs> yeah abby was like you know you should get down maybe i could kind of you know throw throw you in and 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 see what they say so i did around and they they liked what they saw and then they ended up bringing me on tour with them and they were in the middle of their tour that year so i got to finish pretty much like the last leg of their tour and the year after, they asked me to come back. The year after that, they asked me to come back. So from 2004, 5, 6, 7, I was on tour with Maxim. It was Maxim Bud Light, you know? And I was on tour with them for four years, and each tour would last around 10 months. So every... Hey, that's a long tour. <laughs> yeah, 10 months. But what was yeah. cool, literally, I would fly in and out of town. So mm. 
the party would either be on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I would literally fly in the morning of, go to the city, and it was just a party. It was the easiest gig ever. <laughs> go to a party. We were pretty much the, um, the party enforcers. The DJ would play the music. We would go out. We would freestyle, get everyone to dance in the circle, kind of open it up, you know? Uh, so yeah, we kind of set the tone and the, and, the, and the vibe for this Maxim party. And it was the easiest job that I was doing. And it was a national tour. And on top of that, on the weekends, I was traveling abroad to these competitions. So at the same time where I was actually, you know, making money on tour with Maxim, I was still fortunate enough to compete as a B-boy. So that's where it was different from the LA industry, because a lot of B-boys during that time, uh, if you weren't working in the industry, you were almost dependent on winning a competition to, to make pretty much ends meet, you know? Right. And I was doing that at the same time too, because I already moved out of my parents' house, you know? So I was kind of balancing both. I was making decent money with Maxim, but I was also trying to compete to make a name for myself and win these competitions. Yeah, so that's pretty dope because it seems like you were figuring out a, um, a new avenue for, uh, like, I mean, dance in general is like already a, a hard industry to kind of understand, right? Even like, even if you were in LA and kind of like understand, okay, there's like this commercial side and there's a way to kind of go about it. And for you being in Vegas and having its own sort of entertainment bubble, but you know, there was no um, like roadmap to follow. You kind of put yourself in situations that uh, essentially you're in the right place at the right time, right? And then the right people saw you and then you get the opportunities, right? And um, you know, so, I think there's there's a point even in from the way that I understand because I think I met you during when you were like during the Maxim. I remember you were like the guys like oh yeah this guy's on tour with Maxim. I'm like what like what is that? I was rooming with Chris at the time when we were in L.A. and yeah. I think you came over to the apartment and then like Chris introduced uh, uh, you to me as like yo this is my boy Ronnie he like he's like on tour with Maxim. I'm like whoa what does that even mean you know what I mean and like. And then, uh, and then you would kind of tell me what you would be doing. I'm like, dang, like, I didn't even know that existed. You know what I'm saying? So you were kind of like breaking ground um, for, I would say, you know, that side of the industry to even kind of become a thing, you know? And, um, and I understand Red Bull BC1 was kind of like bubbling at, around at that time too. And Red Bull was st starting to enter the dance space um how so was red bull and your connection to that um in a similar way like a right place right time sort of thing or how did red bull enter your world crazy my timeline has been just impeccable everything that happened would just happen at the right time even when i was feeling down and out i'm like so you know touring with maxim for four years and once that got cut off i was like what am i going to do now i was so dependent on this gig to happen every year you know but of course nothing lasts forever so while i was touring in 2004 that's when the first year of red bull bc1 happened in in uh, bill switzerland and i was fortunate enough to get invited as one of the usa competitors which is shocking to me because i didn't think i had a big enough name to be one of three or four competitors to represent america at that time you know mm -hmm. but before that, I was already doing battles, like, you know, traveling with Super Crew. So as far as battling goes, uh, with Full Force, we were always battling as a crew, repping in the West Coast. And it got to the point where I was presenting with the West Coast versus the East. And then I was part of the B-Boy World All-Stars, where I started traveling, representing USA against other crews internationally as Team USA. 
And then that's when I started getting asked to do exhibition battle, battles as a soloist. I got asked to battle uh, Noob, Cybot, Little Rock. And then uh, I think a game changer for me was when I battled this b-boy named Benji in 2003. Because at that time, he was known for being one of the best b-boys in France. So I battled him, made a, a lot of noise battling him. And then in 2004, that's when I ended up getting invited to enter Red Bull BC1, which no one knew what this event was. It was just, oh, a Red Bull event, so let me go. I go, I end up getting second place in 2004. So the way it worked back then is if you were to make top four, they fly you back to the following year. So mm -hmm. since I got second place, I got invited to battle the next year, which was in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. And actually, I take it back. I got invited back to come back the next year, which was in Germany, and I got third place the second year I went back. So since I got third place, they invited me to come back again the following year in 2006, and that's when it was in Brazil. And I got second place. And then finally in 2007, after four years of competing, <laughs> I ended up getting first place. And I feel that after winning in the fourth year was when Red Bull saw potential and, and, and ended up endorsing me like a year after. So that was in 2007. So imagine I won. And on the fourth year when I won, that's when my Maxim tour ended. Wow. And, and, and in my head, I was like, dude, there's nothing better than then like, well what could beat maxim and after i won red bull I'll, i ended up getting endorsed shortly after and during that time was when we did avdc so like i said everything just <laughs> right my one in 2007 it was big blessings man obviously you know there is a lot of you know hurdles and you know a lot of emotional roller coasters that we all had to encounter me personally too but everything just happened so quick so fast after winning in 2007, the next year, we ended up auditioning after, you know, season one. We, I even remember supporting you guys while you guys were on there when you guys did Lean With It, Rock With It, Lean yeah. For that episode. And I remember uh, talking to Dunak at that time, you know, me and Dunak were there live. And I was like, what do you think about doing season two? Could you imagine everyone here throwing up the S? And that's when it dawned on him, like, this could be a reality. This is before you guys even won. Dang. After you won, that was almost like, you know, that, that solidified us to to want to do season two. And that was just months later. So yeah. from winning BC1, from, from Maxim Magazine ending to winning BC1, uh, I won it like in like September. And then winning ABDC literally 11 months later. It was just a lot happening all at once, bro. That's great. And a lot of blessings, you know, but a lot of hard work. Because, you know, yeah. I'm just talking about all the success, but no one knows what it took to get to this point. And you even know season two was a lot harder than season one because they're adding and tackling on all these different challenges. Mm -hmm. And we're B-boys. We were used to competing. We were used to freestyling in a battle, doing commando routines. We weren't used to doing choreo. We weren't even used to counting music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so winning season two was a big blessing. And yeah, the timeline, everything was just... I know I'm just like shooting it all out there, but it just happened. Dude, the way it's exactly how it felt. It felt like it all happened in the blink of an eye, you know? Uh, yeah, man. I love it. As you're, as you're like going down your timeline and as you, you, you're even saying it in your own words that timing was impeccable. Like it, everything was just happening at the moment that it was supposed to happen. And um, I think that's like, if you look at life in general, um, 
it's always happening like that, but not everybody sees it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like you even said it yourself, there's ups and downs, there's roller coasters, which means it's not just upward 100% of the time. There's, there's times where there's lulls and, um, and you know, we, we could look at those lulls as like, ah, it's just not working for me right now. Or, you know, like I must be doing something wrong or, you know, maybe this is not the right uh, path for me to be on because why would I be at this low when everything's supposed to be always on the up and up? And I think it, it takes a type of perspective to know that timing is everything, you know, and um, there's such a thing as um, right thing at the wrong time, you know what I mean? Which is essentially the wrong thing. You know, it's not supposed to happen at that time. And and when it's supposed to happen is when it will happen. And then you're prepared for it. And like, um, you know, you mentioned right now, like, yeah, it just sounds like a bunch of like, you're just rattling off all your successes, but you know, no one really knows like the type of work that you put in and like the, the hours and hours of grind, the, you know, training to breaking your body down to doing literally like, um, all the work that sets you up for when those opportunities arise, you're ready for them. You know what I'm saying? Because let's say you went to the Maxim party, but your skills weren't up, you know what I mean? And then you go out and do a round and it's like, yeah, that was all right. You know, so you had the opportunity, but you hadn't put in the work to, you know, kind of earn that spot there, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I wanna go into, you know, the mentality behind, um, as you put it, like the work that goes into preparing yourself um, and, and what I love talking to people that carve out their own path, like you're somebody who's carved out your own path. There wasn't, uh, you weren't going to school at UNLV and they're teaching you how to do this. You know what I mean? You weren't taking a course on how to become a successful dancer, how to break an industry that's essentially kind of like the odds are always going to be against you because no one really understands what you do. And you know, we can talk about dance and where, where breaking's at now, where it's like going to the Olympics, like, you know, for where you were at at Maxim days to where breaking's at now, something mm -hmm. amazing has happened in between. And that was a journey that people like yourself, um, and, you know, of course, it's not just you, there's a, there's a ton of individuals who are like, just like you that have grinded it out, but has put um, hip hop and has put dance and breaking in, par in particular at a, at a place now where it's recognized as, Hey, this is a sport. This is like, this takes as much athleticism and training and discipline as, as any other sport does, but it took some convincing, you know what I mean? Like the, there, there needed to be a shift in the way that the world saw it to, to be like, wow, this is, I thought this was just like kids rolling around on the ground, but this is actually way bigger, way serious. And, and then, you know, like shouts to Red Bull, which is one of the biggest brands that took one of the first chances, you know, on the art form to kind of propel it there. But, you know, let, I want to, I want to touch on that in a bit, but let's go back to the grind. Let's go back to the way that you say that you put in the work um, without anybody necessarily saying, here's the roadmap to success, but you just kind of like found it for yourself. How did you develop that mentality to be like, when I'm not touring, when I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm at home, I'm sharpening my skills. I'm with my crew. Um, cause I believe in this, like what got you into that place where that was already working up there? You know what it is? I mean, even to this day, there's not even 
an official guideline or blueprint to what we're doing. You know, we're still experimenting. We're still like going through these changes. And even since the last time we talked last spring, talking about, you know, the future generation and the Olympics, I saw some crazy stuff recently. There's a four-year-old B-girl from China that was just killing air flares or this nine-year-old, eight-year-old B-boy from Russia that has a world record for 2000s. That's when you spin I up. saw that video, bro. <laughs> it blew my mind. But I would say that obviously, you know, the consistency and doing what we're doing is helping mold in your generation. And granted, I've had all these successes in the, in the past, like, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years, I still started 20 five plus years ago, I started in 93. So imagine from 93, I didn't see any of this until, yeah, like until like uh, 10 years later when we started traveling abroad and, and the struggles were real, you know, like moving out of my parents' house and depending on winning a battle, not winning a battle, literally had been like, I remember Super Crew, we competed in uh, Tokyo, Japan, and we had the Super Crew. We were so confident back then that we were going to win and we ended up losing the first round after losing the first round, we were literally broke to the point where we all had to scrounge up money just to buy some food at the airport, uh, in the Rita airport at McDonald's, you know? And it's, it's stuff that we can laugh about now because, you know, these are the same guys that I'm still dancing with, with Supercoop, but these were like the little struggles we were going through, but I feel like you have to go through it, you know? And what sets us apart from a lot of people that are still doing it now and are probably seeing success fast is, uh, is the patience that come with it, you know? We were patient enough to wait and to ride it all out together. Uh, there were times even like when we would compete and we were so, cause you know, when you put your heart and soul into something and you feel like you're not getting the results that you expect, it, it's discouraging. It makes people want to quit. Even certain people from Super Crew wanted to quit after we lost at R16 in Korea back in 2008, literally a month before we jumped into ABDC. You know, they got discouraged because we worked so hard to put the show together. We ended up losing the battle and we were so confident at that time. And, and I feel that all these um, losses will kind of build you up for success because you, you kind of know what it takes. You know, it's, it's just one of those things, man. You get knocked, knocked down, you have to pick right back up where you left off and just keep pushing. And I would say in the 27 years of my dance career, I never gave up. And as cliche as that sounds, you have to keep going, you have to keep evolving and you gotta keep pushing. Cause if you stay stagnant, if you get comfortable, then I feel that's when you start falling off, you know? So at my age, I'm, I'm, th I'm about to be 38 in a couple of months. And I'm, I, personally, I feel at like the best shape of my life, especially now that I'm not traveling. I get to practice in my studio on the regular, you know, like I don't have any injuries. So just having that positive mindset and also surrounding yourself around positive people that, you know, share the same passion and that have the same drive. And I don't know if I answered your question, but that's no, that, that's absolutely my question because um, you know that's interesting that you talk about the the importance of patience in like talking about grind. Grind when people think about the term like grind, it means you nonstop, hundred percent of the time you're going, you're going, you're going, um, and it's you know people don't necessarily equate putting patience into that. You know what I mean? Because Patience means like you're waiting or like you're, you're, you should be grinding right now. You shouldn't be waiting on anything. You should be moving, you know, but, um, timing, you know, as we've all kind of, uh, you know, lived enough life where we understand it doesn't matter how, how much you want something to work. If it's not the right time, 
it's just not going to work. Even if you force it, something will probably happen where it just won't happen because it's forced, you know, like the, the necessary ingredients aren't there. The people like maybe you're ready, but this, the thing is not, or vice versa. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, like when you say you got off, uh, you, you did BC one, you won in 11 months later, within a year, you win ABDC, you know, season two. And like you, you know, you already being in the audience and being like, yo, like this could be us, you know what I mean? Already envisioning, um, like what is, what is possible, you know? And I think there's a lot to, there's a lot of stuff that's happening there. You know, you saying, your, your, your training is going to happen because that's the, your default. You're that, cause you love it and you're always going to train, but the patience is something that you learn, right? Like you're like, okay, uh, the timing has to be there. And then all of a sudden you see the opportunity and then you envision something and then you kind of set this goal, but like, yo, this could be us, you know what I mean? And then it just so happened to be the right time for you guys to kind of hit that. And then things and I, I know the you know because I've, I've been a part of the journey a lot of the ways too from you know Jabberwockies in Vegas and all that how all that stuff rolled out and it's it's trippy to me um to kind of like see you know how it all worked out for you but the way that you were able to I don't know like be able to be aware of what was happening versus getting just lost in the excitement or the hype knowing when it's time to like not be so aggressive, but maybe, okay, let me kind of go back into holding a little bit. And you know That's, what I'm saying? Just that. Patience, it doesn't mean just wait around and, and uh, wait for the work to come to you. When I say patience, it's just, you know, let your, you know, talk less, do more, you know, like, you know, less talk, more action, work hard in silence, let your action speak for itself. So when I say patience, it's just, uh, I'm not in a rush to, to win a world final. I'm not in a rush to put myself out there. I'm not trying to boast about everything, you know, that, I, that I've done or I'm, I'm doing, you know, it just all happened. And, you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours and all this happened because of my patience, because like yeah. I said, 93, I was just working hard, losing all these battles, still, still continue to, to practice and train, not getting discouraged, staying positive, you know, even though people would say, cause you know, at, at one point in the nineties, when you were breaking, it wasn't a cool thing to do. It's like, yeah, you still break, you still spin on your head. And obviously, you know, the stereotype, yeah, you know, yeah in the 80s so you know i was around during a generation where it was played out where it wasn't cool but i loved it i was patient enough to believe that i could make something out of it and i kept doing it and lo and behold we end up being that crew that are almost like the face of of, of breaking with subaku and with red bull bc1 and me being patient and 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 just being around the scene and community and supporting the community right up until this point i feel that it paid off because now I'm in the position where I could help other people now, you know, I could bring people in, I could shed some more positive light on, on what the do's and don'ts are just based on the mistakes I've made in the past, you know, close to 30 years of breaking. Um, and even in the industry, like we've learned a lot being on ABDC, you know, we have a very raw B1 mentality going into the competition, but what helped us was because we were battlers, we weren't afraid. You know, when they would do the toy, uh, well, you guys were in the bottom like once, right? We were in the bottom, <laughs> you see, three times. And we always were down to go first. We we're like, we don't need to do the coin toss, let's do this. And I felt that helped us throughout our breaking career, right up until ABDC. So that's also a part of patience too, just knowing that, okay, we still ride it out. We, everything we went through, 
in the past, we use it and took and use it to our advantage, even in the industry. So yeah, leading up to now from breaking, competing, performing live on stage to, you know, collaborating with Jabwalkies, I've just learned so much. And a lot of it was because I was patient enough to learn and to be mm. student, listen, and not to let my ego get in the way. Yeah, that's big. Um, as I'm also learning from even the way that you're talking about the evolution of um, your, yourself as a, as a dancer and as an artist, but then also the evolution of the scene itself. Like, um, you know, as you said, super crew, straight up just a B-boy crew that literally comes from a, a world where it's not about eight counts. It's not necessarily about choreographed routines with themes and costumes. And, you know, sure, there's maybe elements of it, but like coming onto a show like ABDC where, you know, there's challenges. You got to dance to Janet Jackson music. And you know, like, I'm pretty sure you you guys weren't. Every day I tour with you guys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but man, I, I, what I'm saying is there's uh, an evolution, um, which I would love to hear your opinion about it though, because I'm sure there's pros and cons to evolution, right? And it's not always all good. Um, but then, to my, uh, I mean, in my opinion, I think there was more opportunity that was birthed from um, the evolution of shows like ABDC itself, but more so what it did to dance as a whole and then to hip hop culture and then even to the breaking scene. And you guys were, you guys already had the respect in, in the, B, the, the breaking B-boy, B-girl like world. And then you enter this like kind of now crossing over or whatever you want to call it into a choreography realm where it's like, yo, they're, they're, they're B-boy crew, but they, they can get down in this world too. And then, you know, like, you know, I, I think the mainstream exposure, things like TV shows that gives the rest of the world eyeballs on this thing that they may not have really known much about. And then they see you guys like representing, say, okay, like I thought, I thought breaking was this, but maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's a little bit more. And then things just kind of keep moving, keep moving. And then, you know, now it's again, like breaking now is, is in a whole other category. And I would say, um, crews like yourself, individuals like yourself are people who helped kind of carve that path. Right. So, you know, in your opinion with things like the mainstream media shows like ABDC world of dance, um, shows that you guys were um, on and not just on, you guys were spotlighted, you know what I mean? And, and, um, and then you guys have had opportunities that have grown from there. Um, and then, you know, even like collaborating with Jabberwockies, and I'm sure that was a whole other, um, you know, new realm for you guys too. So, you know, I guess the question is, um, how do you feel the way that uh, the scene has evolved? Um, like, pros and cons to it like how are you feeling in terms of what it's done for your personal career to what it's doing for the industry as a whole and um yeah i just love to hear your thoughts on the mainstream effect on all that i love where the scene is going right now man because I'm, I'm very open-minded i know there's a lot of peers out there that you know if you're a, a breaker b-boy b-girl then you just stick to that style or even within breaking it's like if you if you don't have to work then you ain't a real b-boy you ain't a real b-girl you know but I'm, I'm definitely open to the idea of learning different styles of being a hybrid 
Uh, a perfect example of that is Logistics, who just uh, recently got down with us a year ago. You know, she kills it in choreo, and she's one of the illest B-girls out there, you know? So who's to hold you back from from knowing and learning all different styles, you know? Like, why wouldn't you want to be a hybrid? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for me, I love the evolution. I love the fact that, you know, a B-boy could enter an all-styles competition and win, breaking, and also doing other styles, you know? Uh, so I support that 100%. And as far as super crew and our evolution in the scene we we learned a lot just creating moments because when we first started creating choreography we had this mentality guns blazing we would do all our blow-ups back to back to back you were there at our rehearsals by the end of like a one minute performance we're like (gasps) (laughs) together we'd be dying in the back sweating and you know you guys would get done doing apologize (laughs) we'd still get 10 times more loved at Super Crew. And I know sometimes your Super Crew would be so pissed. Like, damn it, we're working our asses off on stage. <laughs> so our mentality back then was exactly how it was when we would battle. Let's just yeah. blow up. And then when we ended up doing uh, Use IC and collaborating with Jabba, we learned so much about storytelling and how to compose ourselves and how to build up to a moment which had the same effect, if not more, you know, so we see these are things that are part of the evolution of of how we approach the dance, even in the battle. Using that, we, we learn how to be more composed and, you know, mu- learning more musicality even as a B-boy, we, we've learned. So by us being on that ABDC stage, being on the stage with Jabwakis, being on World of Dance and knowing what we know now, I feel that a lot, I feel that a lot of new generation b-boys are kind of gravitating towards that we're making it a norm it's like yeah it's okay you know uh after we got out of world of dance they wanted us to come back but we didn't want to come back but we wanted to still support like our scene so uh you know mcnulty casting asked us if we knew anyone and we're like yeah our our boys from holland they're called the ruggeds they're really dope you should consider them so they submitted a video we connected you know we bridged that gap the ruggeds went on the show and killed it killed it as b-boys so they're kind of representing you know b-boys from uh from holland from europe and almost use the same formula you know like you don't have to go out there and and be guns blazing you know you could kind of set the tone slow it down speed it up just create those moments and and that's what we've learned in the past 10 years from competing to now you know doing shows and just recently this year, right before COVID hit, we did a whole military tour with Super Crew. We never thought we would be able to put an hour show together as B-Boys. Whoa. We pulled it off. That's dope. Elements, you know, uh, Ben's a rapper, so he had like a whole section with him and Steve were rapping. Uh, John did some art, so he did some like painting on stage. Mikey's a DJ. We almost added all the hip hop elements. And then we had some of our um, breaking pieces that were kind of slower. Like we had Coldplay, which was used with Jawaki's too. Yeah. Uh, James Bay. Uh, so we just knew how to put the show together based on what we've learned throughout the years of not just competing, but performing on like a, a stage, you know? Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. That's super dope, man. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Meister Watches. They are truly masters of their craft. From quality materials and masterful timepieces to functional lifestyle accessories for the movers and shakers of the worlds they collide with, Meister is doing it. 
They've collaborated with some of the biggest brands in sports, music, comic book, car culture, and pop culture. We've actually had the pleasure of collaborating with them on a timepiece a few years back. I rock their ambassador watch. This one's my everyday watch. This one's my favorite. They are for our culture and for those that are on a constant mission to master their craft. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and pop in the discount code KINJUSPOD to receive 25% off your entire purchase at checkout. And this discount is exclusive to the Kinjas podcast. You won't find this discount anywhere. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and rock with the illest. This show is officially brought to you by Kinesthetic. Hop on to store.kinjas.com and plug in the promo code podcast spelled with the K at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. We're always trying to bring you guys the illest gear for all your movement in the shadows needs. Follow us on Instagram at kin.aesthetic. Like us on Facebook at kinesthetic.brand. Um, I've heard that, um, you know, I, I think I read in an uh, interview about you where you talk um, as far as like you entering like a battle um, is to never show weakness and to always stay unique or like keep your, maintain your own unique style, right? And I think, um, you know, that within hip hop itself, like having your own style is, um, is, is, is so important. Right. And, um, you don't ever want to be yeah, like cookie cutter or, or biting anyone else's stuff. Um, and so for you, uh, in terms of like having your own style, because I, I, I like when I even see you get down, like nobody breaks like Ronnie, you know what I mean? No one, uh, has like the flow that you have even to, um, like your threads to all that. I'm like, man, only Ronnie gets down like that. Um, how do you, uh, how, okay. First of all, I guess, how did you uh, develop your own style? Was that something that, um, you were trying to do? Like I need to be original and I need to make sure I don't look like anybody. Um, or was that just something that like was just the way that you got down and then that just kind of became your signature? Um, you know, I, I would pay a lot of homage to Style Elements crew because this was a crew that we, we grew up watching back in 95, 96. They had a, a video cassette tape called Strategic Monsters, a VHS tape. This is before YouTube, you know, pre-anything online. We'd watch the same video literally every day. And it, it wasn't so much me trying to emulate his style, but I just saw his mentality, just how original B-Boy Remind was. And, you know, even Crumbs, he was just a strong they just pretty much changed the game and they, they almost made me feel that being different was, was a good thing. Cause back then it was like, if you weren't doing certain moves and you weren't a real B-boy, but they, they kind of, they had a very unorthodox style. They're very different, very original. And that's what I love so much about style elements. So with that being said, with full force, it was like, we wanted that approach. Like how could we be different? You know, let's, let's, try to change our style up. And of course we got inspired by watching B-Boys from Texas, from Seattle, from even Hawaii. Uh, but Vegas, I felt that we kind of created something different because we were kind of stuck in our own little bubble. And yes, we were always about trying to be different and original. So we took fundamentals and used the foundation of breaking, but we were able to create our own style. And a lot of it revolved around threads, around multiple freezes, around incorporating ways to get into power differently from our footwork. So this is pretty much the structure and how like I started thinking and how I could be different and change uh, the way I break, you know? And fast forward, I was able to kind of create my own style, which, you know, I see people get inspired by, which is really dope. 
And, and I just see the evolution of breaking now. I, I feel that certain things that I was doing back then or that our crew or Vegas was doing back then is almost part of the foundation today, which is really dope, you know? Yeah. So that we did make an impact in, in the scene. And uh, as far as battles go, just like you were saying, that is my mentality. I always feel that the people with their own style and that could execute their own style comfortably have a better chance of winning competitions, you know? Because as a judge, I could judge a hundred, a thousand B-boys. If I'm seeing the same repetitive move, as, as amazing as it is, it's so repetitive. It's just, it gets so redundant. But then when you see that one style that sticks out and that's clean and you can just tell that they're comfortable with their own style, those are the ones that I kind of look at like, okay, this person has a mature style and they probably have a better chance of, of taking the whole competition and taking the W, you know? Yeah, yeah. So in, in regards to things like style, which is very, you know, it's, it's – uh, there's artistry style is like putting your own twist to something. And then, you know, when you take something like that, that's very kind of, in essence, it's subjective. Like whether you like somebody's style, someone's style is better than someone else's. That's all in your opinion. Right. And then now as we evolve or we push to where, uh, you know, breaking the whole scene is at right now, where it's now looked at as a sport, you know, when you look at sport and art, you know, it's harder to make that subjective. It's either, you either hit that three, the ball goes through the hoop or it doesn't. And that's how you count the point. Right. And uh, so, you know, now that, you know, there is this conversation of, um, you know, dancing is a sport, like breaking B-boy and B-girl is a sport. Um, what are your thoughts uh, towards that in, in regards to, the way that it's kind of being put into a different category now, you know, which is, I think is dope because it's evolving, but um, is there any element of it that you are concerned about like losing any sort of like its original essence or rawness, or do you feel like somehow all the elements of style and the artistry can still be kind of uh, categorized and still, um, I guess, scrutinized in a way where it can be done in a sport like fashion? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of tests and a lot of different point systems that have been used in the past. Uh, Dizzy, he created our system where it's all different categories and it's a point system. It's an official point system. We get points. You know, there's some uh, breakers out there that are opposed to it, a lot that support it. Uh, I feel that if and when or when it does hit the Olympics, yes, there's probably going to be certain uh, things about it that people aren't going to like, but I feel that's going to be part of the evolution. You know, we're going to keep working on it until it does end up fitting our scene. And yes, as far as the physicality of it all, it, it's a sport because of that. And it's a sport because there are judges, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so yeah. it can be a sport. It's like, well, there's winners, there's losers, there's judges. And, and it's gone to the point where maybe, to the naked eye, they won't, they won't understand what we see, but if we could put it out there and actually put a point system, there are different categories that you judge, just like in gymnastics, you know? We yeah. do judge on footwork, we do judge on musicality, top rocks, power moves, execution, freezes, who could stick to freezes. So I feel that once we end up finding an official structure that works for the Olympics, then it's better than not having it on that platform at all. And like I said, there are a lot of peers that are, you know, anti-Olympics or whatever, but this is the only way we could excel as, as, a, as a breaking community. You know, we have to take it to the next level. And it's no different than when no one wanted breaking to be at BC1 or Red Bull Lords of the Floor. It's, it's just, and, and that's the thing. If people don't 
support the Olympics, then you don't have to enter the Olympics. You still have freestyle session. You still have Red Bull BC1. And all these different breaking competitions have different ways of judging. Or if you want to, you know, R16, they were using the hour system. So if it doesn't fit your likings, then then just don't enter it is how I look at it. You know, just because the Olympics is there doesn't mean that freestyle session is not going to exist or BC one is not going to exist. You know, there's still going to be all these other com- competitions out there with different standards and different structures. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, that's dope. And, and I think even um, the way that y- you can even talk about it is you've already been in the scene from the competitor standpoint, you've been the person going for in competition, going for the win, um, knowing how, um, the, the competitions are judged, what type, what types of categories are. And then even yourself, I mean, like for you being a Red Bull, uh, BC one competitor to being an all-star to like, um, you know, like I've heard you like commentating, you know, like events and stuff like that. I'm like, yo man, like the, the evolution of it, it, to me, it's like watching athletes, you know, you see them playing in the NBA. Now they're like, sitting you know behind the desk on espn like you know calling the games and stuff like that and i think that's that's super dope and and that shows that um you know even the the dancer's career um it doesn't end when you quote unquote stop performing and dancing and i think um again even going back to mentality of you know taking the opportunity doing taking that opportunity doing your due diligence to become excellent at it. And then as you have that opportunity to learn new skills and to be like, ah, oh, like, I, like what's this side? Like, like how are people able to like call games and like commentate and stuff like that and learning that whole side of things. And that's kind of also what I wanted to, um, you know, kind of transition into in terms of, uh, for yourself, you know, you said it's about to turn 38. Um, you're definitely not, um, uh, a young in anymore. And in terms of like, that doesn't mean that the, the career side of it needs to stop, but that's also evolving too. So can, um, you talk a little bit about like where your current focus is now, obviously 2020, we're in a pandemic, um, the shows and things like that, that you would normally be doing traveling and all that stuff has kind of indefinitely been paused. Um, but I'm sure you're, you're still figuring out and still moving and shaking in, in different ways. So what is, you know, how is your evolution now in terms of, um, your career as a dancer and, and with Red Bull, all those things, how is it kind of shifting nowadays? Uh, yeah, nowadays after the pandemic, uh, personally, I feel that it's been a good change for me for once. Cause since, you know, the past and Maxim tour and all the stuff we've been doing with Jabba and Red Bull and Super Crew. I felt like this is the longest I've been home <laughs> in the past 15 years. Yeah. Very big blessing because now I could focus on our studio district arts, which we've had since uh, 2012. We opened in 2012. You're still living out here. Yeah. Um, so we've been focusing on our studio. They pretty much opened back up Vegas maybe two months ago. So we've been, we've been working on projects. But even with projects outside of the studio, I was doing a lot of online stuff with uh, Red Bull. So we were, we were working on, you know, right now they're working on a, on a Red Bull BC1 e-battle 
where it's going to be an online competition where the winner gets to go to the world finals next year. I did a collaboration with B-Boy Wicked. He's a DJ. So we did this thing called the Unity Cypher. We, we invited 40 plus B-Boys and B-Girls from around the world to jump on an IG live stream while he was DJing. So we had a list of people, which is really dope because he was playing music and then he'll call people out. He'll call them in. They'll do a little freestyle. And then someone else will jump in. And this is literally people from all over the world, from Asia to South America, North America to Europe. And we raised money for um, Twin Cities Mobile Jazz Project, which is a nonprofit from Minnesota that helped supported Crazy Legs during the hurricane in, uh, in Puerto Rico. And they do a lot of good work, you know, a lot of humanitarian work. So we were working on a lot of, you know, online projects to just help the community as well, you know, and to reinforce uh, unity and solidarity. So that's what I enjoy doing. Cause even though I wasn't traveling, judging and teaching, I was able to do a lot of this online judging competitions online, working with projects with Red Bull. I actually have an event next Saturday, uh, at district arts where we're setting up an exhibition battle with Ben Sachs from Super crew versus Luca from Brazil, from tsunami all-stars. And, uh, we're collaborating with stance elements and we're, we're creating a, a bubble. We have uh, offset, uh, medical, uh, company that's coming to do all like the, temperature checks, you know, signing waivers for, for COVID. We're going to be mopping the floor in between each battle. We're practicing, you know, social or reinforcing uh, so social uh, distancing. So all these little projects that we're doing, we're trying to do the best we can under the circumstances that we're in. And I think that it's, it's working, you know, like we're creating a, a pretty much a breaking bubble uh, for this live stream and it's going to be really dope. So that's pretty much what I've been up to just trying to, you know, not sit around and, do nothing and and wait for the world to open up it's yeah. like how do you actually do <clears throat> with the situation we're in right now and how can we still stay positive and work together and and build the the, the not just the breaking community but the, the dance community in general you know that's dope man um as just thinking about even um yeah like as you know things are obviously at a place where things are more difficult to um do things like normal um it doesn't it doesn't necessarily halt anything it, you know just thinking we're we're dancers what we do is we live off of creativity which means like all right fine like we can't do things how we used to do it like we'll find a way we'll be creative you know and figuring out how to still um and what i love about the the intention behind it is um there's a community that like the breaking community is, is, is a, is a gathering of people that share a collective passion and an energy. And that is something that I think is, uh, so important now, maybe more than ever is the, the need for community. It's the need to bring people together. Um, you know, and I think during this pandemic, the hardest or some of the hardest things have been people feeling connected with other people and, you know, yeah, you can do zoom calls, which is cool. But like, you know, that's not the same. You can never replace like human interaction yeah. and, um, and, and like, yeah, really creating those spaces and, but yeah, to, um, you know, take those measures to, yeah, let's, let's, let's be, make yeah. sure we're sanitary, you know, going the extra mile, like to do all that, I think is, is super dope, man. State to state. Cause I know in California, it's a lot more strict in Vegas. They, they literally open up. It almost feels normal, you know, wow. go to the casinos it's packed. I'm sure it's dangerous too, you know, so that's 
all the precautions, all the safety precautions, you know, yeah. and, and with, with everything that's happening online, I feel that it's, it's good that people are, are, are trying to create these competitions where you could win, you know, a battle at the comfort of your own home and your living. You know, people are going to look at it. It's, you know, I'm, I'm usually trying to be as optimistic as possible. So if someone's saying, like, oh, yeah, well, the vibe is not there. You don't have the audience. It's not the same. It's like, yeah, it's not the same, but you ain't got to leave. You ain't got to fly anywhere. Right. You know, you can actually win uh, uh, something that would have taken you, you know, two hours to get to or, or you know, whatever it is. If you're yeah. driving, flying. So I, I feel that people just need to see the glass half full, you know, yeah. and it's just look at all the like for me personally this is the most time i ever got to spend with my daughter you know yeah. and i get to spend more family time and it's it's great because that was always the biggest you know uh issue with, with me and my family is i'm never around you know i'm always gone and you know it so yeah it's just you know seeing things yeah. finding the silver lining yeah and uh it's, it's just kind of like you know dawned to me as, as i look at you and um as I've always known you as somebody who's such a pillar within your community from, from the breaking scene, uh, from being a Vegas native or, you know, being a, a big part of, you know, Vegas history and that culture. And then, um, you know, recently you were, um, I mean, I don't know how, I'm sure it was shot a long time ago, but you were out in the Philippines with Joe Coy, you know, bringing the community, uh, you know, together out there, you know what I'm saying? And, and for me to watch that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not Filipino, but there's definitely a sense of pride that I was like, yo, that's so sick. You know what I mean? Because me knowing who you are and, um, it would, to me, it was like, oh, this is just Ronnie being Ronnie, but like, he's out like <laughs> in his like motherland, just doing what he does and bringing it together. And, um, to see something like that come together on such a massive platform and then to get, you know, uh, the visibility from Netflix. Uh, that, was, that was a highlight of my year. And yeah. we shot that in literally like a couple months before, uh, before the lockdown. But also you guys yeah. shot that in 2019 last year. Oh, January. Oh, dang. That was a few months ago. <laughs> Yeah, you know the the famous mural of Kobe Bryant on the basketball court. Yeah, that was basically that was tight. Yeah. It was in the in, in Tagiao Tagiao City, in in Manila, and yeah, dude, Joe Coy was you know big ups to Joe Coy man for for putting me on. He's a truth. We've known him for a long time. A lot of people don't know Joe Coy's history with the breaking scene. He hosted one of the first Red Bull events before even BC One. It was a Red Bull Lords of the Floor. He hosted freestyle session. He used to live out here in Vegas. He used to throw his own breaking event called Ellis in the Game. And that's how, I, that's how I know him. And the craziest thing is me and him opened up for Snoop Dogg back in 2001 at the same venue where he shot his second special. So coming in hot was at the Blazel Arena in Hawaii. And that's where we performed when we opened up for Snoop Dogg in 2001. And even hey. back 18 years ago, he, he knew how to control the crowd, man. He was already one of those people that could you know, just, he, he's just a talented dude, man. He was yeah. doing, he's doing now 20 years plus back and he was still killing it back then. Now oh, that's there's Joe Coy, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But so yeah, man, uh, congrats on that, by the way, it was just a proud moment. And I, 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 I was like proud for you because I knew how proud you were, you know what I'm saying? Like I could see just like the joy in your heart to be able to take something that was a homegrown thing for you 
And then to be able to take it all the way to like the motherland and share it with the folks out there with Joe Coy and, and being able to like put so many other um, Filipino artists on that, you know, main stage too. Like that, it was incredible, man. That's cool. Yeah. And, and just to even see how passionate they were, you know, teaching yeah. that, having to create something in two days, performing it on stage for Netflix. It, it was, a, it was the biggest challenge, but I felt like everything just happened organically. It didn't even feel forced, you know? Yeah. People that we chose or that I chose for the, from the workshop to perform with me on stage. I felt that we already had that chemistry right as soon as we jumped into rehearsal. It was really dope. Really dope. So, Ronnie, you, you're a, a world-class b-boy. You've stepped on some of the biggest stages from, you know, the, the underground scene to on network television, um, you know, and, and have done, uh, traveled the world, done some jobs that people can only dream of doing. And, um, you know, in so many people's eyes, that's like, yo, man, like you've hit the top. There's like that, there's no place else to go. And, you know, that, that can be defined as like the pinnacle of success. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're not, you're not some bright eyed kid who just stepped into the scene for the first time. Uh, you know, you've, you've lived enough life. You've been through, um, your career and you're still in it. You're still going strong. Um, and I'm sure the whole concept of success has taken a lot of different forms in your, you know, in your career, uh, with where you're at now, how would you define success? Success? How would I define success? Just uh, oh man, how would I define success? Why did that hard <laughs> question? Uh, to me, success is just uh, being. Not, it's not even monetary, you know. Success to me is just like um, like loyalty. If you could, if you could successfully successfully be with some of the same people that you grew up with, that that believe in you, that you believe in. And to still have that same circle, to me, that's success, you know? And I feel that I've accomplished that because I still have my day winners, you know? All my day ones are still with me till this day from, from full force when we started um, and family too, you know? Success to me is having a, a solid foundation with your family. And I've always been family oriented growing up. And I feel that's why full force has stuck around for so long because that's something that we've always, uh, you know, would promote, you know? Our, our logo is, is a tree and that represents, you know, family, our family tree, you know, everlasting roots. We're always growing. That's what represents our crew. And yeah, we've just come a long way and we're still here. Our District Arts, the studio that I was just promoting, represents Full Force, a crew that we started 25 years ago, a quarter of a century ago, you know. And yeah, success, you know, my I'm married. I have a kid. I have another kid that's on the way. So, oh what? Yeah. <laughs> oh shoot! Congrats, man. Uh, I have a, a what do you call? It? I have a, a coronial that's on the way. <laughs> <laughs> coronial. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. But to me, that is success, man. Just having like a, a strong foundation of family and friends that support each other, mm -hmm. and I've had that. Even yeah. if you know money or anything like that, I felt that I've always had the same people, and yeah. So that's the definition of success to me. I love it, man. Super dope. All right, man. I'm going to, we're going to get into a lightning round. I'm going to fire off some questions at you. Not yeah. good at you. Well, it's coming. So get ready. Lightning round in three, two, one. What's your favorite food? Ah, uh, Japanese sushi. Okay. Favorite place that you've ever traveled to? 
Ooh, uh, Venice, Italy. Ooh, okay. What was the biggest battle of your career? The biggest battle of my career, Red Bull BC1. All right. What was your most memorable dance moment? Winning ABDC. Let's go. <laughs> what is your proudest moment? Being a father. Let's go. If you have any, what would be your biggest regret? My biggest regret? Oh, man. This is a hard one. What would be my biggest regret? Uh, damn, I don't know. I don't, right now, I can't think of any regrets right now. That's a, that's a hard one. That's a hard, is this the last one? No. <laughs> uh, can we go back to that one? <laughs> okay. I mean, you could also not have regrets, too. So, like, that, that, that could be your answer. Regrets, because I feel that everything that has happened to me has happened for a reason and has led me to where I am today. So that's my answer. I dig it. What would be a dream opportunity for you? A dream opportunity for me would, cause I always looked at Vegas, like the entertainment capital of the world. I've always tried to bring the Red Bull BC one world finals to Las Vegas, which surprises me that it hasn't happened yet. So it would be a dream for me to actually bring a competition at that caliber to our city in Las Vegas. Or even, it doesn't have to be Red Bull BC1, just something that big, you know? Yeah. You know, like the Dana White of, of Las Vegas and just to throw the biggest competition, even if it was Olympics, you know, just to bring, yeah. have it at that magnitude. Would be I feel like if anybody could do it, it would be you, bro. So yeah. let's I put that out there. Right. You know, he's on my phone. No, I'm just playing. Bye. <laughs> dude. I do actually have contact with, with Dana White and we, we were in talks about something that could have happened, but we'll see. Shoot. Hey, Dana White, if you listen to the pod, what's up? Dana <laughs> White's listening, right? Hey, he loves the breaking scene, by the way. I was able to connect uh, Dana White with some of uh, our local B-Boys. Uh, they got to perform for his son's 16th birthday at Dre's Beach Club. And, you know, B-Boy Little Rock was a part of it. So he was oh, dope. times training at the USC facility. So I was able to bridge that gap, you know. So uh, there's definitely a handful of B-Boys that are personally connected with Dana White that come and do shows for him and that's yeah. hella tight all right let's put that out there what would be a dream collab situation for you it could either be you collabing or you would love to just see this collaboration happen super kinja walkies what what <laughs> oh ho, ho 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 is the world ready for that one i don't know i don't know that would be that would be pretty amazing i would i would have to say it's gonna be ready though all right, all right. Um, a dream battle scenario. What would you love to see these two forces battle? A dream battle? Damn. It doesn't have to be breaking or yeah. be anything. Uh, dang, a battle? That's a hard one. It's a really hard one. I'll get back to you on that one. All right. That one, that one is a little tough. Who would you say is next up? Like, who's the next in the scene that people need to be, like, on the lookout for? For Oh, man. Uh, my nephew, Trey, he's been killing it in the, in the U.S. You know, I'd want to see him travel more globally. He actually performed with uh, Jabberwockies for a couple years. Dr. Trey, he goes by Dr. Trey. He's part of Knucklehead Zoo, which Knucklehead Zoo is also part of Super Crew. And I've known him since he was pretty much born a baby. And now he's, like, in his early 20s, killing the game. 
uh, as far as other b-boys just keep keep an eye out on the the, the new all-stars man all the red Bull bc1 all-stars that are uh, especially a lot of our new recruits you know a little zoo sunny ami logistics they've been killing it and even yeah. on the on the you know the top style we have uh, angel dassey our poppers you know uh we've been recruiting we've been recruiting so we started in 2010 with the red bull team with only seven of us and now there's more of 20 of us and it's all styles it's not just breaking now you know so I would say, and I'm not just endorsing him just because I'm a part of Red Bull, but these are really some of some of the best competitors that I've seen in person. Yeah, dope, dope, dope. What would be your superpower? If you have a superpower, what would you say your superpower is? Flash, speed. Ah, okay. The ability to be like Flash is what you would want. Okay, what is... This one that yeah, lightning round, so I had to think fast. So that that's probably perfect. What, what is your actual superpower? Uh in in breaking, I would say obviously an, an intricate style, fluidity, threads, and all that, creating illusions. Dope, dope. Less of more of. What would you want to see less of in the world and also more of in the world? Oh, man. Uh Less hate and hypocrisy, more love and unity. Solid. What is your golden rule, your life mantra? My life mantra? I feel like you asked these questions a year ago, but I don't even know how I answered it. Uh, so but it's going to be brand new right now. As a life mantra, what, I, what I've been really feeling and seeing and just vibing with is just like surrounding yourself with positive people, you know, and, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people that share the same passion and goals or just, you know, that are driven, you know? So just a culmination of all that surrounding yourself with positive, passionate people that, you know, share the same vision and goals and aspirations and, you know, ambition. I don't know if I already said that, but yeah, that's what it is, man. And, and obviously going back to what I was saying, a lot of those people are your family and your friends and your, your, your backbone and your support system. That's super dope, man. Bro, it's so good. Um, uh, first of all, catching up with you. I mean, it's been a minute. But, like, as I kind of hear you talk about the your whole journey from starting out as a, you know, as a, as a B-boy to sticking with it um, and then, you know, building this career, breaking, breaking boundaries for – the breaking scene and then seeing your personal career and then seeing, you know, where you've taken super crew, full force, Red Bull. Um, and, and the way that you package it all, um, like I, you know, I'm not trying to gas you up, but even as I said, like, yo, you've done things that people only dream of, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then going to the Philippines with Joe Coy to do a Netflix special and like, because of all that stuff, and then I ask you, what is success to you? And it's like, man, just, you know, growing with the people that you love and, and uh, you know, having the same people in your life and like the way that you talk about what full force is and how, you know, the tree and being rooted and, you know, what your golden rule is. It's all like, I'm seeing it all just kind of like package itself into be like, dang, dude, and you, are, you are consistently somebody who... Um, is not pursuing the the glitz of the things and it's not all that like 
yo, I need to be the, the biggest name in here. Or I need to make the most money here. It's like, I just want to do what I love to do. And I want to keep the people that I love around me at all times. And, um, and even your desire to like bring, you know, something like the caliber of a UFC if, if, for breaking to Vegas, because Vegas is home for you. You know, it's, it's, it's where um, all your roots are to everyone you love to breaking itself like that. I can see why, like there is such this desire. Like I want to bring everything that I love close to home because home is like where, you know, where you find your success is home, you know, your, your successes with your people and all that. And I think that's a testament to, you know, let's even talk about the career stuff to the way that you've achieved some of the biggest things that people can only dream of in their dance career is because it comes from such a real and genuine place. There isn't this ulterior motive and there isn't this like, um, I want it to seem like it's this because it sounds good, but it's actually something else. Cause like, I mean, I've known you always to be the same dude, you know what I mean? And like your energy has always been that. And it's cool to be able to hear you even kind of vocally just kind of map it out for yourself because it's so clear as you kind of even hit all these points. I'm like, dang dude, there's a consistent flow to all of it. And, um, I don't know, man, it's just really inspiring to, um, you know, as your friend and as somebody that's kind of been able to see a lot of it and been inspired by you myself to, um, you know, just seeing where you're at now, as you talk about your family, you know, your daughter and all that being home, being able to, um, spend much more time in your happy place than you've ever been able to like to recharge and get even healthier and all that. Like, again, man, it all like cycles back to uh Likewise, man i've always you know looked up and i was always inspired by all the stuff that you've done even from rocking with you with jabberwockets and now kinjas just even jabberwockets and kinjas you guys have changed our lives as as super crew just because we've learned so much just from you know how you guys conduct yourself as a brotherhood as um as a business you know even seeing when you guys were doing retreats as, as a crew, as Kenjas, I was like, we need to do the exact same thing. You know how we function as, man, we're crazy. <laughs> you know? yeah. Crazy. And uh, yeah, man. So I draw inspiration from everyone and from the same circle. And even going back to even the whole thing with Joe Coy, like I was saying, it's history, bro. Like these are some of the same people, even this podcast, you could have been someone that I, have never met before and done this interview with, but I feel like we already have this chemistry. So it's almost like this dialogue that's just organic and it's not forced. You know, I don't even think we need a, a paper to, you know, a script or anything. This is a, a regular conversation. We would probably even have off screen. 100%. What's dope, which you've had before, you know, yeah, yeah. late night dinners. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those, man. We're going to figure it out, dude. We, you know, we're working through this weird time and, um, and it's it's great to hear uh, people that are are finding opportunity through times like this, which is what you you you're doing. You're making this to be an opportunity um, versus it being like this handicap. And I think that's uh, the world needs that. You know, our your communities need that. Our communities here need that. And um, you know, people who listen to this pod, I mean, that's that's what we're here for is to tap into. Um, ways that we can continue to inspire by hearing other people's stories and, um, you know, tap into their mentality and all that. And, and like, man, your mentality, I think is so valuable, bro. So thank you so much for thank coming you. on and sharing, bro. That you guys do. 
Absolutely. Um, how can people follow the journey, man? Like what's going on? What's new in the world? Uh, anything to be looking out for? Uh, right now. Yeah. Just a project follow district arts, you know, uh, district, uh, with one eye arts, A R T S, uh, follow super crew. You know, we're going to be doing some more projects in the near future. And yeah. Um, my personal, is uh, Ronnie underscore FF. You could catch me there on IG and all other social media platforms, I guess. But yeah, man. Oh, yeah, we'll plug, we'll plug all that up in the show notes. Um, but guys, thank you again so much for watching or listening. If you find this pod valuable, we got a, a ton more episodes before it. So hop onto your podcast platforms. If you really like us, leave us a five-star rating, write us a review screenshot your phone tag us uh we're on ig can just podcast with the k we're on twitter uh facebook if you guys still use that stuff and uh just share it with your folks and we hope you guys are staying healthy stay positive keep inspiring each other ronnie thank you again my brother so much for coming on That's and, it. Uh, take it easy peace world sure. peace out world Ginger